Good afternoon, Jeff. Good afternoon, Paul. Welcome to uh, Bradford on Avon. Thanks, mate. Welcome this to the, this is the Dog and Fox. This is this is brilliant. <laughs> this We're is. in one of Jeff's favourite types of pub. Yeah, never been here before, but this I'm sitting in a comfy chair in front of a fire. A log fire, a real, a real log real, fire. Real, real log fire. Uh, yeah, English country pub. Lovely landlord. Bit of banter. No, no music. <laughs> Wonderful. Proper ale. Yeah. Proper cider. Timothy, <laughs> Timothy Taylor, landlord. Classic English. Is it Timothy? Is that local to here? Where's Timothy Taylor? Rude. Good question. I think it, I think it's because I've, I've had a Timothy Taylor in Cheltenham once, and I'm pretty sure that it's it's not far from where I'm from. Is it? I think it's quite a maybe a Gloucestershire. Okay. And I've got Stoford Press, which is Western cider. I think that's local to this kind of area as well. One of my favourite ciders, I must say. Cheers, mate. Cheers, Cheers mate. Cheers. You can probably hear the little, the occasional crackle of the fire crackle in the, in the background. Lovely, isn't it? Lovely, lovely. So what's, what's occurring? What's, what's going on? Well, met someone who was an avid follower of this podcast. That's nice. Uh, so I said I'd give him a shout out because okay. that's, that's what you do in these things, isn't it? You give a shout out to Craig. Hello, Craig. I'm sure you're listening. Um, yeah, big fan of the podcast, and um, quite said he, he likes the fact that we exchange our thoughts on beers and mm. alcohol yeah. at the beginning, and he shares usually shares a pint with us mm. while he's listening. That's uh, a glasses to Craig. Oh, yes, yeah, very good. Cheers, mate. Yes, that was good. Um, did my. Uh, Scrum Alliance webinar as well, so uh, that was that went down well. So that's people can want to look, look at that online. There's, I think the, it was recorded for anyone that didn't manage to see it. So you can see the Scrum Alliance website for that. What was the topic? Again on uh, improv, my improv and Scrum teams. And mm-hmm. Just a very quick overview, like forty-five minute overview of that. Just good fun. Have you, with your with your improv, have you found that um, there are some people that just say no way? Yes. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not doing that. Yes. And could you characterise them? <laughs> could I characterise them? Are there certain types of people? That well, you there's people that there's, there'll be people that think you just want to make a fool out of me. Mm. So they're, they're a little bit worried, vulnerable. Yeah. There's mm. well, and there's probably a, a a facade, a persona that they they want to maintain. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There has to be a willingness to admit. I mean, I think some people misunderstand it that thinking it's about performance. Mm. Whereas I, I make the point that I'm not going to get you to perform mm. like some kind of circus animal. But yeah. it's, it's it's the idea is that you've got to be prepared in some respects to let your guard down. Mm. But that's telling me something about the team strength, really. If the t- if you, it's like, it's, again, I, someone read this question on, on the webinar this week, but how do you convince people who are skeptical about it to do something like that? And yeah. it's like, there has to be, you have to admit that I'm going to have to be, show, show a part of my personality that perhaps I'm not, wouldn't ordinarily show. It's quite scary. But if you you think about it, we do that all the time, but we probably do it with our family. So mm. you think about like games at Christmas, and Christmas yeah. is coming up, and we'll probably play some games at some point. It's like, yeah, we're going to play a few silly games at, at Christmas. Charades. Charades. But, and, yeah, and you you would probably do that then. But yeah. that's mainly telling you not something about the game. It's to do with the fact that you're actually with people that you trust. Mm. So it's the bigger question is, do you trust... Are you comfortable with the people that you work with? Yeah. Rather than me, are you comfortable with the people that you work with on a daily basis? Yeah. I had um, 
and I, I was asked, I can't even remember how it came up actually, but I remember saying to somebody, yeah, as a scrum master, you, you have to be at times prepared to look silly. And I think as part of that, which is, I wouldn't, if I was a scrum master, if I was a coach, anybody, no matter what role I'm playing, I wouldn't ask anybody to do something that I wouldn't be prepared to do to myself. myself. Yeah. Um, which I think is important. The, yeah, I was met, met with a couple of questions of all, but seriously, do, do, do people actually go along with this stuff that you do, Jeff? You know, we're, we're, we're talking about perhaps um, even something simple as you know, planning poker or something like that. Or, or, you know, or get anything that involves a game. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, well, yeah, yeah, by and large, by and large, they do. Um, but there's an element of creating a, a sense of personal safety for them, and, but also meeting them where they are, understanding where what their concerns are. But they, this group, um, they tended to categorise them as the, the grumpy 60-year-olds. Uh, and I, I hasten to add that you know, there are many people in that particular demographic that uh, are more than willing to engage. And are not grumpy. Not grumpy. <laughs> but they categorised them as a stereotypical group of grumpy 60-year-olds near to retirement, yeah. um, sort of long in the tooth, been there, done it, seen it, bought the T-shirt, yeah. you know, have their own way of working that they're quite happy with. Thank you, Jack. Uh, don't need any of this hippie... Improv, um, collaboration, nonsense. Our nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> they said, "Well, how do you get some of those people involved in this kind of stuff?" Yeah. Um, and actually, they use different words. Actually, so like, "How do you convince them to use Scrum or something like that?" It was. And they said, "Well, I, well first of all, I wouldn't try and convince them. No, I mean, it's, this kind of stuff's got to be a, a pull thing, hasn't it? Really? It's got to be something that they're." they choose to do mm -hmm. so you're going to make it an, an attractive choice for them mm -hmm. but am I, am I right there? I suppose technically you could force somebody to you could to do it but you could you could but then are you going to create I think that you're right when you say you, as a scrum master you should develop that maybe that's a rapport you need to develop with that person individually is to say look you know this is to try and develop that relationship whereby I'd like to try something a bit different. Would you? And you're the you're you're as much of a a guinea pig as anyone else mm. that you're willing to try it. It's harder for me, I think, as an agile coach, to perhaps go in and suggest you should do this improv stuff because I'm not one of you. I'm, I am an outsider. I'm, yeah. I'm someone that you just met yesterday, you know, this today. So, because I've tried this, I've run a few public courses, and you do get that kind of that frosty reception first of all. With do people don't, trust you? Well, no, I don't think they do. But and I, I do the first the games that I play in an improv workshop would be games based around trust and safety. Yep. But what we usually find then, even within half an hour, people have opened up a bit more and people are more comfortable doing the next game, having done yes. the first game. Mm. A lot Break of it's, them in gently. Yeah, yeah, true. But a lot of it's about, am I prepared to be look vulnerable? Am I prepared to ask for help? If you can, if you can square those two things, yeah. you probably find that people are much more prepared to try something different. Mm. Yeah. And I think there's this huge in the, in the software industry, especially. There's a huge bravado that comes with, especially the more senior I become, maybe in age, but also maybe in experience, that I can't be seen to be inferior. Not inferior is the wrong word. Perhaps more junior in in terms of my knowledge. Mm -hmm. In terms of I have to I have to I am the the authority status. here. Yeah, it's, it is status largely, which again is one of these improv games that we play to to adjust that that natural status that we have. And sometimes being playing someone else is 
it's fun. It's just, it's just a different, you know. But liberating. Yeah, people can open up a bit more <laughs> if they feel they're not being judged on who they are. Mm. They're being judged on someone, something else, something else, or someone, someone different. I find it both interesting, in some ways incredible, and in some ways quite worrying. <coughs> the amount of scepticism might not be the right word, but whenever I'm running an exercise with somebody, let's, let's just take my, my one of my standard CSM classes where I get people to play with Lego. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'll get them to build Lego over a number of iterations and I'll be the product owner. And they just think I'm going to screw them over. They just think at some point There's a, I'm yeah. going to pull out a, a, a last-minute change request yeah. or a ha-ha, yeah. see, see. And no matter how many times I say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not here to try and make you fail. Yeah. Um, there's, there's that, and I don't know whether it's the fact that they're in a training environment and they, mm. they just assume that's going to happen, or whether it's the fact that I'm representing a product owner and they think that all product owners do that, mm -hmm. or whether it's just a general suspicion of people in the office environment, of seniority perhaps, or even management or anything. They think, do you know what, at some point, someone's going to pull a fast one on mm. me and make me look silly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I find that interesting and no I think you're right but I think that's also probably our own interpretation of what silly looks like mm -hmm. because making a mistake this is the thing the difference between failing and making a mistake are widely different to me mm. and if you can become comfortable with making mistakes then it doesn't really matter and in terms of if people don't judge you on those mistakes then what does it matter anyway? Yeah. I think that in, in a trainer-delegate relationship, there is an implied sense of, I know, I have the high status, I know more than you, mm. therefore you feel, in some way, I'm gonna be caught out or I'm gonna be... And you've designed the exercise, so you know what's gonna yeah, happen, you know, don't. you can predict. And even in things like the ballpoint game, which you know, mm -hmm. me and you have both used at points before, it's very difficult because as a trainer, We've seen the game before and we kind of know what might work. And the audience know that we know what might work. Yeah. But we don't want to tell them. And that's not because we're trying to be deliberately be awkward, but because we, I know that we both believe that people learn more by finding that out through the discovery for themselves. And a lot of the point of that exercise is, yeah. is, the, is developing a process for finding an answer rather yeah. than rather working being out told. what the answer is. And that's you know the, in terms of it's very hard to impose collaborative ways of working mm. it's something that the team has to try and be comfortable with and discover for themselves you can give them guidance you can give them constraints and that's very much what we do in those games is you give people constraints not to try and make people fall over but to try and encourage mm. better thinking yeah because if you if you didn't have any constraints mm. it was an interesting thing I mentioned his name, which is um, Dan Brown. Is it Dan Brown? Kanban Dan. Yeah. He tweeted this recently um, about a change. He's, he, he put a picture online of a change to the marshmallow challenge. He showed the, the finished structure. And what I noticed was that the marshmallow challenge is, is, is different to how I run it. 
I don't know if it's different how you run it. I haven't done it for a while. And, and Dan actually, he loosened some of the constraints around um, the number of marshmallows and the number, of, the amount of spaghetti. You can, it's unlimited. Okay. But there's still a constraint, I think, from what he said, on there has to be a marshmallow at the top, but you mm. can have other marshmallows in it. Okay. And he was, I asked him why, and I kind of said, because my gut instinct was, well, that makes the game simple. Yeah. It makes it... It makes it, you know, it just, it, it doesn't constrain the thinking and the creativity enough for me personally. And he was saying, well, it, 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 with just one variable, it allowed people to explore others more freely. And it, it just struck me as something, you know, it's perhaps just something different to what I've done. But I think that I'm a firm believer that, that, that just adding constraints sometimes by limiting what people can think about will not restrict but focus people on finding a solution yeah. rather than blue sky thinking yeah. which is limitless thinking mm. which doesn't give you any control over your thoughts and you might go off on tangents yeah telling people what they can't do not what they can do yeah yeah I'm a big fan of, of that in a way um, Mm. <sighs> Lost where we were going. Well, no, we, well, we started off by talking about um, people who may be more or less open to being vulnerable and, and trusting, and, and these more cynical people who perhaps seen it all before and perhaps been burnt more before. Perhaps they've just had more experience mm. of trusting people and having that trust broken. It's not, it's, I think Tobias May used to talk about this quite a lot with certainly I've heard I spoke to him about it before he said that in any training environment there'll be what there's open open exercises open-ended exercises and more closed ended exercises whereby you've got to decide as a trainer do you want to put something out there and see what people learn for themselves and we had the situation just today we're looking at at the moment looking at some videos yep. to use in our advanced course which is coming next year um, and there's that, do you just put something more abstract out there and then run the exercise? And even, perhaps even specifying as a trainer, I've got no idea what you'll find out of this. Let's, let's have a go and mm. see what we find. And then you're kind of, you're not, you, because you don't know the outcome yet, you don't have any power over the group as a trainer, yep. to a degree, you've, you've lessened that power. Or there's more closed form exercises where you know, you kind of know what you want the outcome to be and you lead people towards it, which does create more of a, I could screw you over at this point because I know where you want to go and I, don't, I know I'm going to point out where you don't want to go. So it's that kind of, perhaps, and Tobias is a, is a big fan of this, I've tried to run more open-ended exercises where people make those discoveries for themselves rather than the trainer pulling them up on when they don't make the discovery that they're supposed to make. Yeah, yeah I mean, I guess the risk there is, from a trainer's perspective, that nothing comes out of it. True. Uh, but I, don't, I find that's very rare. Yeah. Most um, will normally find out what they, what matters to them personally. Yeah, and that, I think that, that phrase there, the, the words that just come out of your mouth, I think are absolutely key. What matters to them? Mm. You know, people will only learn and only do things that matter to them. They'll only pick up stuff that matters to them, that resonates with them, where they are right now. And so, you know, these questions of, you know, how do you get these grumpy 60-year-old stereotype people to, to engage? Well, why would they? But maybe it's because they're being told what they need to get out of it. Perhaps. 
So if we met them where they were, mm. find out what's you know what's going on for them in their world, what their challenges are, what what they would like some help with, what they would like to be different, uh, and and then and then work towards that. You know, I was I was pleasantly surprised. This is going right to the other end of the spectrum, actually. So I'm being I'm being taught at the moment how to coach young children in cricket. Mm. Um, I know you've gone through a similar kind of thing with rugby. This yeah. this. I've uh, previously, again from my own experience of being coached in inverted commas as a child in sport, <clears throat> that sports coaching is very different to how you and I would class coaching because in my mind it was, this is the technique, learn it. Mm. Um, I've, I've mastered this technique, you haven't, yes. this is what you need to do. Um, and I was really pleasantly surprised by what's, what's been termed player-centred coaching, which is don't coach talent out of people. And people can achieve a goal in a different way. And mm. if you set them a challenge of, right, you need to hit the ball over there, mm. have a go. Mm. Right? And then yeah, and then reflect on how you've done that. And if it doesn't work, try something else. If it does work, brilliant. Mm. Make it better. Mm. And the idea of rather than going into the coach saying, right, this is what we're going to learn this week, this is what I'm going to teach you. Ask the team, ask the individuals, what, what do you think you would like to get better at this week? And so ask them to reflect on their previous performance or perhaps their, their previous training session and say, right, where do you think you could, you could get some improvement? And if it's fielding, okay, then we'll design a fielding drill. What, what would you like the result to be? I thought I was pleasantly surprised by that. Would that, just to play devil's advocate, <coughs> would that still resonate with someone approaching their retirement? Who doesn't feel there's any point in improving? And if they don't feel there's any point in improving, is me coming along saying you should improve in this area going to have any better of a result? No. So in those, I mean, in those situations, I'd, I'd, I'd be tempted to say that I'm here if you need anything. You know, if you if you want to focus on anything, then no. then great. But um, I can't force you to learn something. No. Uh, now, of course, there may be other other influencing factors perhaps as an organization they've made the decision that everybody needs to do a certain thing they need to adopt a certain practice adopt a certain way of working and it's either follow it or follow the door um, yeah that's that's outside of my control but as a coach I'd still be there because on a human level there's very few people that I know regardless of age or experience that would refuse the idea of autonomous working, you know, in terms of uh, having control over mm. my daily life, mm. my daily job, what I commit to and what I don't. That's something, you know, you can't imagine many people would refuse. But not complete autonomy, because <coughs> that would, I'd, I'll map that then to your comment earlier on a complete blue sky. That's not no complete, but within, so within the scrum framework, we've got to start an end point. Towards a goal, towards yeah, a purpose. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But day to day, Yes, my team are going to regulate that, but no, I haven't got a boss who's going to come in and say, no, you should you do this, don't do that. Mm. Maybe that's what those people are used to, mm. and that's the change is the typical thing. But, but from a human point of view, there's very few people that I know who would refuse the idea of being given a challenge. Yes, constraints around where we review that challenge, but day to day, it's largely up to you to control the flow mm. of that work. Very few people that I know that would refuse that idea on principle. Yeah, all, all things being equal, and there's no there's no uh, underlying fear of 
consequence to making a wrong decision or not being as good as someone else might think we need to be. Uh, because then if there's a fear of consequence, I may well prefer to be told what to do so that if it's the wrong thing, then it's not on me. And the thing is, right, so even though Scrum might be the best idea, right, it might be the best way, it is the way, we all kind of know that, let's, let's assume that it is, it is the right answer for us. We can't help, we can't help the fact that people might have been scarred by what's happened for 30 years previous. Yeah. So in some respects, don't blame yourself for the fact, for the failings of an organisation mm -hmm. in terms of you can't, it's not on your shoulders to a degree and, and maybe that's what we have to say to these people that this change isn't about me, mm. this change is really about you and the people that you work with um, and I think maybe we take things too personally as I, and I know I do this as an agile coach is that we feel some kind of, sometimes I feel some kind of duty to always fight the good fight mm. and sometimes I look back to the jobs that I've done years ago and I think you know what it was probably a good idea not to do we, we perhaps shouldn't have done that or perhaps we should have waited or perhaps we should have just held back perhaps those people weren't the right people to use on that pilot project whatever that might have been but there would have been reasons that I look back and think you know I probably you know I that hurt me, or that hurt the people that were doing it for the wrong reasons. I probably shouldn't have done it. Mm. <coughs> I'm getting plenty of situations that I've been in when, you know. And sometimes it's worked out well for me of walking away from a bad job as a coach because, and Mitch, I think Mitch Lacey said this years ago when we were at a conference with him, but this is the, the scrum value of courage. And sometimes the, the, the courage comes from not doing scrum, but knowing when not to do it. Yeah knowing when to, to a larger extent, walk away. Because yeah. you you'll end up in a worse position. Do you want to end up with those, those, those cynics that mm. hate Scrum for the wrong reasons? They don't hate Scrum because it's Scrum. They hate Scrum because of the organisation they're in. Yeah. 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 I'm trying, to th I'm trying to think of... I've got a fragment of a, of a quote in my head. I say a quote. Just a, a statement that somebody made. Yeah. Um, risk getting into trouble but <laughs> Ken Schwaber once well, more than once said you're not I think we've established that Ken doesn't listen to this no. podcast <laughs> you're, not, you're not a good scrum master until you've been fired a couple of times yeah yeah sure. um, either for being too forthright or mm. having the courage to say what needs to be said but then he also said a dead scrum master is a useless scrum master yeah, yeah. And you can't, you think, can't lose your mind over it. No, no, I don't think that's. So I, I get that, and I, you know, I've, I've plagiarised that, that quote before. A dead scrum master is a useless scrum master. But equally, sometimes you know, the sacrifice needs to be made, and there are times when I've made that sacrifice because it's easier for me to sac make that sacrifice as an external coach. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And say, do you know what? This this needs someone needs to go down and raise a glory here to make yeah. a point. Yeah. Um, and it's easier for me to do that than it is for you to lose your job over it. Yeah. Exactly right, yeah. Something that. Remember Ollie Lafontaine? I'm sure yeah. Ollie's still on Twitter somewhere, he might pick this up, but that's something he. I remember he said to me, me one of the first times in BT when I worked with him. If you've got a difficult conversation to say, let me say it. Because I'm in the big scheme of things, I don't really matter. Mm. <laughs>
So yeah, I'm trying, trying to bring these things a little bit more closer together but, um, to these 60-year-old grumpy people who uh, hopefully will see some benefit in autonomy, uh, control over their own destiny. If we can reduce the fear or perhaps the, the potential, if not actual, costs of, of trying something new, focus on what the benefits are for them. You know, what, what, what do they have to gain from this? As well as autonomy, what do they have to gain from this? Meeting them where they are and empathising with with, the, with their past and their scars. But and I have to say, those types of people, and again, that sounds horrible, doesn't it? But I've worked with people like that before, or had them on a training course, and they do drain the energy from oh, yeah. them. They dra they are a drain on the the positive energy. It only just takes one person mm. that that. That who has a negative outlook on mm -hmm. something, or doesn't want to play ball, or doesn't want to <laughs> tries to sabotage or undermine the process, and it has an effect on everyone. Mm -hmm. And we've seen it before: the, the productivity jumps when that person isn't around. Mm. Even in the training course, when they leave the room, everyone starts talking, or everyone will start doing something that they weren't in before. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of this. You know, if one person if one person calls out that behaviour. You'd like to think that other people would do the same thing, but I think if you tolerate it, mm. maybe we're the team is as much to blame as that person if they're, yeah. if they're tolerating it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would agree with that. And um, it's the it's the passive aggressive. It's the, it's the default, really, isn't it? It's yeah. The, you know, someone eats your sandwich. We talked about this before, didn't we? Yeah. Someone eats your sandwich. The easiest thing to do is to leave a post in it rather than directly exactly yeah confront it. Um, and express the, the impact that's had on you mm. and what you expect and just stating that that's not acceptable. But as a team, if we, if we agree that that's not acceptable, but it's not about the person. And you mentioned that already today. It's, it's separating the activity, the behaviour from the individual. I had a situation just last night. Sorry, I tried to jump in there, Jeff. Uh, we played, I played touch rugby last night with mm -hmm. a few of my friends. Been doing it for a long time. And uh, there was an air of, during the game, there was an air of anger and mm. kind of irritability. Everyone was complaining and everyone was being really bitchy, I'd say, or about... Because they've got no referee in these games. Okay. And we've only just referee ourselves. So someone would say, forward pass, or someone would call out a, a, an offence. And they'd be a grumble, you can't do that. You can't. And there's this real horrible... Horrible playing environment, mm. and and God bless him. A guy, a guy called Andy, who's uh, one of my good friends. He got to half time. We always we have a break of a drink. Half time, Andy piped up, and he said, "Look, guys, this is horrible. I don't like this. We we know we all know the rules of rugby. If someone calls an offence, don't grumble about it. Just accept it, and we'll have a much better game." And there was this air of of applause, mm -hmm. of, of, and that was kind of an appreciation for Andy for stepping up and saying, "You're all bang out of order, yeah. and it's offending me. Sort it out." Yeah. And it, I, and then it ch completely changed in the second half. Mm -hmm. The people that were doing it didn't have to say anything, yeah. but they took it on that the group, even through that just like ripple of applause yeah. and, and a bit of a, a rallying cry was enough to say, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm being a bit off here. Yeah. I need to sort, sort it out. And it changed completely. And no, I'm, I'm, I'm not being there. I'm going to make an assumption. No, no, no one was doing that deliberately. No. It was just uh, uh, that we had a bad day. Maybe but it perpetuates. Exactly. If one person does it, someone else thinks it's acceptable to do it. Yeah. And then it becomes the norm. But there was and no singling out, was there? There no, was no, there was there was no, no judgment on no. that person. It was the judgment on the, the behaviour and the, and the environment. And the effect it was having on the people that... You and know, owning the whole it personally. Group. Yeah. 
I think that's a big thing you know, as part of a team. If I know that that's really upsetting a teammate, I'm more likely to change. Whereas if it's just something I have to do or it's a rule I have to follow, or it's yeah. arbitrary, mm. less likely. So perhaps it's like I say, it's an opportunity, even as, as going back to this whole the touchy feely side of things, to go back to the whole working agreement side of things to say, how do you actually want to function together? What what behaviours do we call out and what do, what do we what don't we call out? Yeah. It's an opportunity to do that with those types of people that, that perhaps they're a bit cynical and they don't and they don't believe in it in the process as a whole. Mm. Even if they don't want to do all the, the all of the stuff, there might be things easy things that they'll agree on that as part of the scrum framework that they will abide by. What do you think would have happened if somebody had said instead of getting that little ripple of applause, somebody said, Oh shut up Andy, get on with it. I think Andy would have would have um, I can't speak for Andy uh, but I think he would have replied and I think one or two of us would have backed him up mm-hmm. and I said that in, to him in the bar afterwards and cause Andy he won't mind me saying this but he, he felt he kind of came up to, to a few of us afterwards and said should I have said anything he kind of felt bad for saying something yep and it kind of just needed us to say, no, I, I back you 100%. Mm. Andy. And, I, if, and if someone would have challenged him, I would have said, you know, I've got, you know, Andy's right. Mm. And I stand by it. And there was a few of us that, that I think, even though I didn't need to know that, I kind of felt there were a few people that I know well enough to know that would have said, yeah, they agree as well. And it would have been the, the majority would have, would have seen the positive in it rather than the negative. Okay. Another hypothetical. Yeah. What if you felt that everything was okay, but Andy had raised, this is horrible, I don't like this. So you you weren't seeing what Andy was seeing. What would you have done then? I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I probably would have questioned, what's the, what's the problem? I, can't, I probably had to say, or I'd have maybe said something else. Am I missing something here? Or what happened? I don't know what I'd have done, really. Okay. What are you alluding to? No, I know. I don't. I'm just sort of playing out different scenarios because not every, not every. I'm just imagining people listening to this, this and thinking, mm. oh yeah, if somebody said that in my team, someone else would be. A, wouldn't, they would, we wouldn't get a ripple of applause. Someone else. Yeah, I can imagine different outcomes coming out. Of that. Which, that's his, yeah. And you know, for me, I, if I wasn't seeing what Andy was seeing. I would. I, my, my first impression would be, well, he must be seeing it because he wouldn't be. That's, he's taking a bit of a risk to, to say yeah. that. So that, it's got to be. It's got to be important enough to him. So I'd, I'd validate that. But also, I'd probably want something a little bit more specific. Yeah. So can you tell me? Give me some examples of, of what I'm doing, mm. what we're doing, that we can stop. Because I'm not. I don't quite see it myself. Mm. But I'm willing to accept that it's true. Yeah. Well, there's. I can think of opportunities that I did that. I had to do that as a scrum master. I can remember one particular instance in Nokia when it just seemed. I mean, I just got this sense that things weren't going as well as everyone was making out. You know, during the day it was all very polite conversation. Look at the burn down and thinking. Look at the sprint battle log and thinking. This doesn't really feel right. So I called the team out on it. I said, look, guys, is it just me or mm. tell, shoot me down for being completely wrong or we've got this much work left in three days. Do I, is, it just me, is it just me that sees a problem here? Mm. 
And it was a couple of guys who said, no, yeah, fair point. Yeah, we, we need to buck our ideas a bit. But until I'd said that, they, no one would have, I don't, well, my perception is no one would have realised it until the end of the sprint. Mm. So you, I think you've got to be prepared to, as a scrum master, certainly to put your head above the parapet and say, and state, like you said, about being prepared to look silly or, or to be shouted down, but but let to let the team voice overrule you, because maybe something wasn't wrong. Mm. It was just me being being panicky. Mm. But you've got to be prepared to know people well enough to to say what you feel, to, to have an opinion. I think you're entitled to an opinion. Mm-hmm. Somebody asked me that question on the webinar yesterday, when, you know, if one is it okay as a scrum master to, to have a voice or to, to say something, if you think, so the question was, the team aren't estimating very, or the, t- the team are estimating badly. And I think, so my answer was in terms of, it's okay, as a scrum master, you should be feel prepared to make observations, but not judgments, the idea that, Estimating badly is your perception, mm-hmm. is your judgment of the situation. Yeah. The data suggests that we're not delivering on what we've committed to. Yeah, that's true. That's factual. Yeah, that's factual. What can we learn from that? Uh, but you've got to be prepared to say those things. You've got, and maybe a scrum master's got to be the person prepared to say to that grumpy old man, I've noticed that you're not really taking part in the exercises or the games or the meetings or the discussions as much as everyone else. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Yeah. And that and we've come across many of those people in our days at BT. They were usually in the training rooms that we had that we were trying to convince them for two days that Scrum was a good idea. But um, you do pre- we have to call that out. You've had to do that as a trainer. I've had to do that as a trainer. The people in the room that you think, you're not really buying this. Mm. You're not really buying what I'm selling here. And are you sure? And giving people the choice. Because we do that in training course. No, no, um, no judgment. If you don't want to be here, don't be here. Mm. But because you, you're having a negative effect on the group, don't be here. Yeah. yeah. I don't do it as often as I used to, I think. No, but that's, me. And then maybe that's people's ideas of changing over time. Maybe. Maybe Scrum's less than the fad that people thought it would be. Or maybe we just we've somehow developed a better way of enabling people to have a, a dissenting view without it turning disrespectful. True. I think my... I'm sure... I don't know which which pub, podcast it was, but I'm pretty sure at some point you picked me up on <laughs> something and I said... I remember now, it was in the old fish market with, with Nigel. I said, mm-hmm. I'm different now because I care less. Yeah. Um, which sounds quite bad, but the idea that you know I'm not. And I remember being very passionate about this is this is much a better way of doing things because mm. of my experience as a project manager with the old way of doing things. Mm. Uh, but not everybody was as unsuccessful as me as a project manager, so <laughs> yeah, they have more exactly yeah. more positive memories and less negative memories, and so they have less reason to change. So that having less of an agenda about the training, having less of an agenda about the coaching mm. that, that I do. I think frees me up, but also allows them to decide whether this is something they want to do or not. Yeah. You know, people will resist even the most beneficial things if it's feel if they feel that it's being imposed upon them. Mm. I think it's partly to do with the fact you're an ex- we're external trainers now as opposed to internal ones. True. People saw us in BT. We, I mean, if you don't know, me and Jeff run a lot of training courses internally in BT. 
back in the day. But um, we were seen as we're employees. Mm. So you know we can't. We've got to. We've all got to be together. Mm. And it's like we, you're quite, you're suggesting I should do something differently to what I normally do. You're not playing the game, and you're trying to catch me up. But you're an employee, so it's like yeah. Agents, agents of the CIA. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, selling, the spreading the message, the, the official yeah. word. Yeah. Well, that was quite a meander, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. Probably, uh, call it probably about time to call it a day. Yeah, even if there's no really even if there's no real concrete conclusion, I think it, that's probably the spirit of the uh, the podcast as it was originally intended. Anyway. Yeah. No agenda. Hopefully there was something in there. Um, yeah. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.